This is the Life Church Podcast. For more messages, to watch our live stream, or to find other events, go to lifechurchnow.org. You know how it is. Uh, the year is coming to an end. We kind of try to close shop for 2019. We, we start thinking about, okay, what's 2020 going to look like? We start making plans. Maybe there's some diet plans in your future. Maybe there's some, you know, some change habits. I don't know what it might be. But here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm simply asking you to include in your thought process just simply a prayer to God. God, what do you have in store for 2020 in my life? God, I want to be in your purposes, in your plan. I want to be exactly where you want me to be in 2020. And so, God, will you speak to me? Will you speak to me? Will you challenge me? Will you help me, Father, to step into the plans that you have for my life? That's really simply the prayer that I'd like you to kind of sit with over the next several weeks as we look to 2020 and get ready for, for a new year. Amen? Are you excited about the new year? Hey, all right, a few of you, yay. <laughs> Not everybody, but a, f- a few, yes. Awesome. Listen, last week, uh, we kicked off this series that we ta- where we talked about light of, the light has come, where we talked about hope and anticipation, and we kicked it off that way because that's really what, culturally speaking, Christmas is all about, right? We, you know, you, if you're a parent, you're buying gifts for, for kids, and, and you're kind of excited. Any of you, one of my favorite commercials that's floating around right now, have you seen this commercial? It's a GMC commercial where there's a husband and wife, and they're sitting like in the living room, you know, and uh, the wife hands the husband something. I don't even know what the, what the gift is. He opens it up, like, oh, nice, he's happy. And then he says, here, I've got, I've got a gift for, for you too. And they walk outside, and there's this GMC, brand new GMC truck and a brand new GMC Suburban or SUV. And then the wife, it's, it's, I, I laugh every time I watch it. The wife runs to the truck, hugs the truck, and says, thank you. you know? And he's standing there like, no, not, not that one. <laughs> the, the other one's yours. you know. But, so this is what Christmas, culturally speaking, this is what Christmas is all about. It's about hope and anticipation for gifts and things that we're going to receive. And maybe you're, as a parent, you're excited to give a certain gift to a child. Maybe, as a, maybe you're here, maybe you're adult children, and you, you still receive gifts from your parents, and you're excited about what your parents are going to give to you this Christmas. That's what Christmas seems to be about, culturally speaking. It's about hope and anticipation. We talked about that last week. But specifically, we talked about the hope and anticipation of what happens when Jesus comes into our lives and how he has something new for us. That maybe we have been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for God to move on our behalf. Maybe we've been waiting and waiting for God to change a heart in our family member. Maybe we've been waiting and waiting for God to finally provide for us financially or finally provide for us with the right job. Maybe that's been the hope and maybe you felt discouraged along the way, but that The coming of Jesus Christ, Christmas story, is all about hope and anticipation for good things to come. And so hopefully last week you walked out of here with a little bit of a a renewed sense of hope that Jesus has your back, that he knows exactly where you are, he knows what you're wrestling through, he knows your struggles, and he's with you. Amen? Amen. You know... One of the great things about the Christmas season happens to be those stories that surround it, you know, all those uh, whimsical tales about characters seeking the true meaning of Christmas. You remember those, right? We've seen them. 
you think back about it, think, think back in time to what, you know, the things that you remember as a kid growing up. Maybe there were cartoons that you watched that were about Christmas. Maybe there were um, movies, you know, there's all kinds of movies, Christmas movies. One of my favorite ones is Elf, you know. <laughs> or, or Claymation, remember Claymation? I don't know who ever invented that one. I never got into Claymation. I just looked at it and was like, that's weird. That, thank God for CGI, right? Where's Anthony? Anthony, thank God for CGI, brother. I'm glad you're here. <laughs> because Claymation was not, it just looked weird, you know? Anyways... But maybe you remember those. You know, maybe you remember crawling into your mom's lap as a child and, and hearing a, 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 her reading you a Christmas story. Maybe it's Linus from the Peanuts special reciting the Christmas story. I don't know. Uh, you know, Rudolph not being able to join in any reindeer. You know, you know the stories, right? We all know these stories. Why? Because they were encapsulated in a story. They were, they were told to us like a story. We remember them. In fact, I would, I would guess that many of you can tell the story of your life, and you don't tell it as facts, you tell it as a story. Where you came from, like I don't say, you know, to, if you ask me, Rich, who are you, I don't get up here and say, like in five words, Panama, 1963, USA, 1980. Iowa, 2005, you know, just throwing data, facts out. You know, I tell it to you in a form of a story. I say I was born in 1963. I'll say that I was born to an American father and a Panamanian mother. And you'll get into the story of my life. We tell our stories that way. That's what it's all about is stories, right? And so what I'd like us to do, I'm, I suspect that most of you, what you know about Christmas comes in the form of a story. So I'm going to put that to the test here this morning. I'm going to stroll down memory lane a little bit. It's a little bit of a group exercise. It's a group exercise, by the way, so don't leave me hanging. Like, if you guys are silent, then that'll be really bad. And so I'm going to say a phrase, and then you're going to finish it for me, all right? Here's the first one. Um, this one's easy. "'Twas the night before Christmas, and all through the house." Look at that, See? How is it that you can remember that? I mean, you probably memorized that like in third grade, but you remember it, right? Um, this one just requires one word. All the Who's down in Whoville liked Christmas a lot, but the Grinch who lived just north of Whoville did not. Yeah, he's a Grinch, all right. Okay, this next one's a song, and really don't leave me hanging on this one. This is risky. All right, ready? I played my drum for him. Keep going, keep going. All right, all right, all right. I wanted to hear you sing that anyway, so. There's something about how we retain information that oftentimes the way we retain information is we retain it in the form of a story. This is why historically, for, for example, how, how history originally was passed down, was passed down not necessarily in writing, it was passed down through stories told around a campfire. And they would say, this is what happened, this is when it happened, this is how it happened. And then that would get transmitted on down and people would, would remember their lives and remember their histories in the form of stories. And what, I, what I'm certain of for many of us in this room is that what we know about Christmas comes from our childhood stories. 
So as we read the Bible now these days and during the Christmas season, this time of year, we need to realize that Christmas is a story. Are you hearing me? Christmas, I mean, it's more than a story. I mean, it's, it's truth. It's historical, you know, reality. Yes, Christmas is more than a story, but it's not any less than a story because it contains all the elements of a great story like tension and drama and political intrigue and heroic escapes and so much more. And so really, Christmas is a story, and I suspect that what many of us understand or know about Christmas, we know it in the form of a story. One of the things about Christmas is last week we talked about the theme of hope, um, and there are several themes when we, when we, you know, I've preached about it. In fact, I've preached Christmas so many times that I don't even know how to preach Christmas anymore. It's like, okay, what, you know, from what perspective do I preach it from the perspective of the sheep in the pen? I don't know what to preach, how to preach Christmas anymore because it's not a whole lot more to say about it. And so this year I had chosen to basically choose some themes. Last week we chose a theme of hope. This week we're gonna, I've chosen the, the theme of peace. And what, do you, what you see in terms of the Christmas story is that one of, the, one of the primary ideas about Jesus coming in a manger and born on that day, that auspicious day in Bethlehem, is that he came to bring peace. Peace. It's found in our traditional Christmas carols, like Hark the Herald Angels Sing, that line that says, peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconcile. Do you realize that that is a Christmas song? Peace on earth, mercy mild, we know that song. God and sinners reconciled. This is, this is a Christmas song. We know these things, right? We, we've heard them so many times. I think one of the most appealing titles for Jesus, and he has many, Messiah, Son of God, Savior of the world, one of the most appealing t- titles is Prince of Peace. Jesus has come as, a, as the Prince of Peace. Peace is a huge theme when it comes to the story of salvation. And I suspect that as I stand here this morning looking out at this audience, I suspect that there are some of you in this room that you desperately need peace in your life. Listen to the proclamation of the angels in Luke chapter 2, verse 14. It says, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. So the introduction of Jesus to these shepherds was to say that peace has come. They were just minding their own business. business. They were out there, you know, doing their thing when suddenly an angel appears and says, peace has come. This is one of the major, major themes of the Christmas stories, that peace has come, and we need peace in this world. I mean, my cell phone blew up this morning, and it started with this this text, 911, we need help. I can't tell you details, of course, but of a family just in need of peace, so much hostility, so much brokenness, so much fallenness in their lives, so much sin that has taken over and just destroyed and destroyed relationships, destroyed children, destroyed just so much jobs, job prospects. I mean, we, are, we live in such a broken world, and you know this. We all understand this. 
a world that's so broken and is desperately in need of peace. And so Jesus comes as the peacemaker. The peacemaker. Paul talks about this in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away, okay, so all of us once were far away, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So we were far and we've been brought near by the blood of Christ. And then listen to this phrase, for he himself is our peace. That in that transaction from being far from God and being brought near to God, something happened in there that, and, and what that something is, is that peace was made between this heavenly father and this lost humanity. You see, the point of Christmas, Paul says, is that God in the form of Jesus brought peace so that we could have peace with the Father and with each other. Not only is Jesus the peacemaker, but he invites you and I in this work of being a peacemaker as well, right? I mean, he never advocated, Jesus never advocated for a live and let live kind of philosophy of life. That's not you know, it's, we understand he was born meek and mild, but it doesn't mean that you just do nothing, right? When injustice happens, that we have actually been called to step into the injustice and, and somehow bring, be instruments of peace in this world that's so divided, this world that desperately needs peace. I mean, we understand that. I mean, all you have to do is turn the TV on and put the news, put, I, this is like, I don't even like doing this anymore, putting a news channel on. Because of the, it just, it's consumed with politics. And the politics is consumed with division, hatred, animosity. I mean, it's just, it's just, that's what it is. We need peace in this world. We need the Prince of Peace in our lives, in our world, in our communities, in our homes, in our families, even in our own very souls, right? But you need to know that peace isn't something that just happens. It's not. Peace is not passivity, it takes action. That's why God had to be born. He had to be born in the manger. It had to happen. It wasn't that God was up there looking down on humanity and said, well, I hope, I hope one day they're gonna get along. I hope one day they will finally figure it out and just get along with each other. He had to do something about it. And so he sent his son to be born in a manger takes action. Peace doesn't just magically appear in our lives or in, the fr- in our friends or in our families. It's going to require someone, someone like you and me is going to step in and, and make a bold move and say, God, I'm going to join you. I'm going to join you in this work of peacemaking. I'm not just going to idly watch at a distance at what's happening and just act as if Someday they'll figure it out, but God, I'm going to pray for them. God, if at the moment that you ask me, I'm going to step in and become a peacemaker. And so I'm going to ask you right now, have you ever considered that maybe God's calling you to be a peacemaker? In fact, let's pause here for a second. Let me just ask you this question. In what area of your life right now, whether it's your life specifically or whether it's somebody that you know that you've been watching that, you've, that you're in relationship with. Maybe it's a colleague at work. Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's a child in your life. When I say child, it doesn't have to be a little child. It could be an adult child. But in what area of your life are you in desperate need for peace? 
So I think that's a question we don't often ask ourselves. Because I think that we live in a world, such a consumer world, that when peace or the lack of peace happens in our lives, we very quickly try to figure out how to mask it. We very quickly try to figure out how to put other things in its place to, to like no longer think about it. And so the dysfunctional marriage starts happening and instead of actually dealing and speaking to and adjusting ourselves to what's going on in our dysfunctional marriage, we figure out other ways to fill the gap, other ways to fill the emptiness, other ways to fill the loneliness, other ways to fill all the other things. And so we don't go around asking ourselves, God, I need peace in this situation. God, I need you to intervene in this. We don't do that very regularly. And so I'm asking you this morning, in what area of your life right now, if you just think for a second, in what area of your life do you need peace? Maybe it's a family member during this Christmas season that you're going to see. You don't see them very often, and every once in a while they, they show up. You don't really like seeing them. Maybe it's a family member that injured you or injured somebody you know. And maybe you need peace there. Maybe it's a friend that you're watching and you're seeing that there's a conflict that they have with someone else. Maybe it's a marriage that you're aware of. Maybe it's your own marriage. And you're saying, God, I need peace. I need peace in this situation. Amen? And so, what I'm asking you to consider is that maybe, maybe God has appointed you right now to be a peacemaker in that situation. To not let another Christmas just go by pretending, masking, acting as if nothing's ever happened. But to actually step in and be a peacemaker. God uses us to be peacemakers. Now let me be clear, peacemaking... When I say it requires action, peacemaking is not political activism. Peacemaking is not getting on Facebook and, you know, getting your soapbox out and ranting about the things that you don't like in this world. To be consistent with what the scriptures teach about peacemaking is that God sent his son to this earth. God didn't get up there and complain about everybody that's a sinner and bad and horrible and terrible. God sent his son to this earth to die on a cross, and then God put aside all of the enmity that he had with humanity because of what his son did, and his son brought us back together. So really, peacemaking is not ranting and raving or getting all upset about things. Peacemaking is about reconciliation. Peacemaking is about bringing parties together. I don't know if you've ever heard this story. Um, I've shared it before. It's the story of St. Telemachus, a 5th century monk who um, lived in the easternmost parts of, uh, of the Roman Empire back in a time when still all roads led back to Rome. And uh, this monk woke up one morning and God had given him a word and said, hey, I want you to go travel to Rome. I have something for you to do there. So Telemachus said, okay, I'm going to Rome. I've never been to Rome. I'm just a lowly monk from the eastern fringes of the Roman Empire. I know nothing about Rome. It's a, it's a magnificent city, they say, but I'm going to go to Rome. And so he gets up the next morning and he says, surely God has something for me to do 
there in Rome. So he makes his way to Rome. It takes him several months to get there. It's a long distance. He finally gets to to the gates of Rome. As he's walking in, he sees the magnificence of the city, the structures, the building, the organization. Everything seems to be so, so meticulous, so organized. He's never seen anything like this before. He's just awed and he's, in amazed, he's amazed and he looks up and he says to himself, surely God has something to do for me here. He's walking through the city and he's enjoying all of the architecture and he notices that there's this large crowd of people and they're all kind of walking in the same direction. So he joins the crowd and he's never seen this many people before, but he's walking with this crowd and they're walking down the street and, out, and they're all on their way to the Colosseum. When he gets to the Colosseum, he looks up and he says, man, what a magnificent structure. This Colosseum is amazing. 40,000 people can sit in this Colosseum. And he says to himself, surely God has something for me to do here. He goes into the Colosseum and begins to find a seat like everybody else. He's sitting with a crowd and, and, and he's, again, he's just overwhelmed with a number of he's never seen this many he's from a small village in in the eastern parts of turkey so he's never seen uh you know this many people all in one place and he's again amazed and he says surely god has something for me to do here he turns his gaze towards the coliseum floor and he realizes that there are eight fully clad gladiators on the floor about to do battle unto death And then he realizes why he's there. And immediately he stands up, this this monk, St. Telemachus, stands up and to the top of his lungs begins to shout, in the name of Christ, stop! But there's 40,000 people, nobody can hear him. So he yells even louder, in the name of Christ, stop! Nobody's paying attention. Makes his way down to the bottom where everybody was sitting and he goes all the way down to where he can look up at the crowds and he just says, in the name of Christ, stop. And they start laughing. They think this is just part of the show. I mean, this is their entertainment. You know, this violence is about to happen on that Colosseum floor. This is part of their entertainment. So certainly this is just one more clown in the crowd that's, you know, that's entertaining them. St. Telemachus is frustrated. Nobody's hearing. So he drops down into the Colosseum floor where the gladiators are. And he starts yelling again. In the name of Christ, stop. In the name of Christ, stop. And then they realize, the audience does, that he's not trying to entertain them. He's trying to stop the gladiator games. And so they get, they're, they're, they're upset about that. This is their entertainment. So somebody picks up a rock and lunges it at him and barely hits him. Another one picks up a rock and hits him right in the head, knocks him to the ground. And then another rock after another rock after another rock. And before long, St. Telemachus is lying there on the Colosseum floor bleeding out. And his last words are, in the name of Christ, stop. And he died. There was two gladiators left that were still fighting, and after that happened, they dropped their swords, and um, they had no more taste for battle. 
They walked off the Colosseum floor. You can hear a pin drop in the audience, just like right now. Hush. Throughout the whole audience of 40,000. The next day, Honorius, who was the, um, the emperor of the Roman Empire at that time, he heard of what this lowly monk had done, so he issued a decree. No more death games. And so on January 1st of the year 404 was the last time there was a gladiator fight in the Colosseum in Rome. That was the same day that St. Telemachus died. The emperor gave him the title, Victorious Martyr of the Church. And then on his epitaph in the, where he's buried, there's these, this is the only thing that you find on the epitaph. Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. You see, the process of peacemaking begins at the moment of willingness for us. St. Telemachus was willing. He was willing. He would say to him, surely God has something for me to do here. Maybe in your situation where you desperately need peace is what God is wanting to hear from you is surely God has something for me to do here. It's too easy for us to be in a situation where we need peace and this is how we frame it. Surely they're going to do something. Surely that person is going to change. Surely they will stop behaving that way. Surely that person will, will stop treating me that way. Maybe what God is trying to tell us right now is that surely God has something for me to do that I should be willing, right? When the angel announced to Mary that the Holy One was in her womb, the Son of God, the one who was going to come and basically whose kingdom was going to come was going to last forever, she knew that God was doing something. She knew that this was a level of peacemaking that was happening that the world would have never, ever, ever before, before this time had ever experienced. She understood that. She knew that God was doing something. So she nurtured him in that stable. She whisked him away to Egypt when Herod was trying to kill the babies. She raised him, you know, making sure that everything that she knew, she, you know, basically transmitted to him. She understood that his kingdom would bring, would bring peace. But for his kingdom to bring peace, something miraculous would have to happen. Something maybe even a little bit tragic would have to happen. Isaiah tells us in Isaiah 53, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace, the punishment that brought us peace. So let's insert ourselves into this text, right? The punishment, what's the punishment? The death of Christ on the cross, right? The punishment out there that brought who? Peace. Us. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. Talk about Christ. And by his wounds, we are healed. One day Mary would stand and watch the punishment that brought us peace. She would watch his hands be pierced. She'd watch his body be brutally beaten. You see, no one in this life really finds peace without the cross. I know, you're hearing me talking like, Rich, this is Christmas. (laughs) Why are you so, so serious? Can I just say that I love the Christmas season. I love the gift giving. I love all that stuff. But can I just tell you that Christmas 
It's much more than a story about gift giving and love and peace and joy and all that. But it really is about a, a savior who came, gave his life for you and I, so you and I could be at peace with God. And it would just be, it would just be terrible for us to be in a Christmas season and walk go through a Christmas season and walk through a whole Christmas season without ever encountering that peace. Without ever having an opportunity to say, Jesus, I give you my life. I surrender my heart to you, Jesus. I need peace in my life. Easter delivered that peace for sure. So, do you need peace in your life today? I'm going to ask us to stand. We're going to pray here in a second. Maybe you are in this place. And it's something that you just don't want to talk about too much, but you're in turmoil. You're agonizing over, maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's choices you've made in life that have just kind of taken you down a path that you really didn't want to go. In other words, you, you, when you were a teenager, you didn't say, yeah, I just want to go down this terrible path. You never made that decision consciously. But you've made choices along the way that's taking you down that path. And now you find yourself in that place and you're wishing you were not there. And maybe you're just living with this constant sense of, God, I just feel so, I'm just not at peace. Can I just tell you that not a whole lot more that you need to do except simply say, Jesus, I surrender. I surrender. I surrender. I surrender. In fact, the peace that you're looking for is simply a prayer away. There are others, others of you in this room that you've already found that peace. You understand what I'm talking about. But maybe you've not taken the next step of becoming a peacemaker there are people in your life that you need to step into the gap for them. Maybe God's telling you, surely God has something for me to do here, like St. Telemachus. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe the real gift that God wants us to give, you know, there's a lot of gifts that we, we you know, Christmas is characterized by gifts, Right? So we want to, many, how many of you are looking forward to getting a really nice gift? <laughs> That's because all the adults are here. I should have been asking a question to the kids in the kids' room. <laughs> all the adults are like, yeah, I got to give a bunch of gifts. <laughs> Culturally, Christmas is about gift giving. And it's easy for us to get really excited about that new technology or that new car or whatever it might be, the GMC truck. <laughs> we don't always think about other gifts like the gift of love, gift of peace. Maybe, maybe the most powerful, most expensive gift you can give this season is go to that estranged child of yours who you haven't talked to in years and simply say, son, I love you and I want you in my life. Maybe that's the most expensive gift you can give. Be a peacemaker, amen?
Let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you, God, this morning because of who you are, what you've done in our lives, that today, many of us in this room, we get to experience peace, not just a temporary kind of peace, a a peace that just is superficial, but Father, we get to experience a peace that is deep and seated in our hearts. God, we get to experience a peace that allows us to go to bed at night without the worries, without the concerns, that allows us to wake up in the morning looking at a new day, fresh and excited. It's a peace that that I can't make for myself, God. It's a peace that only you can give. So this morning, Father, we, we surrender ourselves to that. We submit ourselves to the peace that surpasses all understanding. The peace that was brought at the first, point, at the first part through the birth of a baby in a manger and was fulfilled at the cross on Easter. And God, we just ask, hallelujah, bring that peace into our hearts that maybe the greatest gift we can give this Christmas season is the gift of peace to a loved one a friend maybe the gift of peace to our own warring soul in Jesus name we believe